and welcome back to AA Opera Podcast. This is episode 76. What? (laughs) Second week of season six and oh boy, have we got a good episode for you today. But first, before we get into that, Abby, how are you doing? I am good. I had a crazy weekend and I am quite tired, even though it's the middle of the week now. Um, But yeah... I'm now on the Wordle train, like everybody else in the world. And just before this episode, you've introduced it to me. I'm finding it really hard, though. I don't know. Today's word was not easy. I'm not done yet, but we'll get there. But the choir that I'm in, the entire chat is basically just what who's doing Wordle and... Scores, scores. comparisons. Yeah, 100%. But we also started singing a new piece at choir and working on a Poulenc. Oh, it's so beautiful. I love Poulenc. Yeah, but also that feeling of starting a new piece of music. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. How about you? I'm doing well, thanks, yeah. It's just been getting into the swing of everything and the body's in shock thinking you've had basically a month off. What are you doing? But uh, with that, I feel like the days are just flying by. Yeah. Usually January is a really long month, but it feels like it's going really fast. So touch wood, it stays that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the second, we'll be at my birthday. It will be your birthday <laughs> very, very soon. Yeah. Are you? 29. 29. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just checking it wasn't the big three. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm 29 on the 29th. I've been waiting my whole life to say that. <laughs> Because it wasn't fair, you know, when you were in, like, primary school. Everyone was like, oh, I'm 10 on the 10th. Ten. And I was like, I'm going to be 29 when I'm on the, t- like, <laughs> whatever. Whatever. We got there. We got there. Here. Woohoo! We got there. Shall we kick off today's episode? Yes. So today we have a fantastic guest, which you're going to tell us about. Yeah. This week we are joined by Ross from Goben. And... What an exciting career he has. And it was such an interesting conversation, an honest conversation as well. It was just great to hear about his journey and also hear what he's up to now and whether it's singing on the operatic stage or singing in the football stadiums. <laughs> it's a bit of everything. Um, so listen in and I this hope you enjoy it. a great it. episode. Welcome to Ross Ram Gobbin here to AA Opera Podcast. Hey, lovely to see you. Thank you very much for having me. I mean, this is this is great. We would love for you to actually introduce yourself to okay. our audience. Uh, well, um, my name's Ross Ram Gobbin. I'm a baritone. I'm 35, and um, I'm also a big football fan. I'm a big Arsenal fan, and um, uh, yeah, uh, I'm. I'm 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 a singer. I'm a, <laughs> and, and I love yes, performing. Yes. So yeah, that's the yeah. that's me. So you like opera? I do. Yeah, yeah. So you're in the right place. That's a I, good start. Exactly. <laughs> um, we'd like to know what your first experience of opera was. Okay, my first experience. So I think it was um, the World Cup in 1994 in Pasadena. Um, uh, the, the three tenors had a big, big, big concert there. Yeah. And even for non-classical music fans, you know, 
we would me and my family were drawn to it you know and um and hearing those voices at that age just i just went whoa okay they're they're pretty cool yeah i'd like you know it'd be quite cool to sing like that but i didn't i didn't kind of it wasn't conscious if that makes any sense because i didn't really know about classical music or opera in general but it's only as i went through my studies that i kept remembering things and and you know realizing that that was quite a a big inspiration at, at that young age so um yeah, I've got I've got football to thank uh, for that, and uh, and and obviously those those wonderful wonderful voices. That's fantastic, and um, it's funny because there's a lot of football. That yes. We talk about. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about it. I mean, I'm a big football fan. So Are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who do you support? Well, Newcastle. So, okay. But, so we've just, you know, it's good news for us. Yeah. Lately, You've got a lot of money in your pocket now. You've got a lot of money now. now <laughs> but uh, up until this point, it's not been too good for us. So no. let's see what happens. <laughs> um, off you go. But most people won't, might not know this. But a lot of academy students will actually know your face from sitting in the canteen and <laughs> yeah. um, having lunch with you at the singer's table several times a week. But you are a Royal Academy graduate. I am, yeah. And um, no one can doubt that because there's a picture of you <laughs> there. I, I couldn't believe that. So there is. Yes, I totally forgot oh, about that. God. Yes. Oh, Yes, hello. <laughs> I think I think it's with it's with Tom Elwin. Yeah, and I think he's who's saying, coming onto the podcast later this season. Is he <laughs> wonderful? I think he was saying something naughty in my <laughs> ear in rehearsal. Which, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't grin like that unless there was <laughs> something particularly witty. But uh, yeah, oh that's great. <laughs> but we would love to know what happened next. What happened after that? And. Did you go straight to National Opera Studio after graduating from Royal Academy? Yeah, so I graduated in 2013 and I, I, I'd done the two-year Masters and then the two-year Opera course. And the thing is, I, at the time I was so obsessed with having this linear path to being a singer and I felt like, oh, no, I need to do some sort of young artist programme or I've got... Um, and so I auditioned for the National Opera Studio because I guess at that point I didn't want to lose any momentum. But I mean, now that I'm a bit older, I kind of realise yeah, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, there are people who can take one, two years out to do, you know, work on their voice in private study or whatever. Um, and they can get into the profession just as, as easily and, and, you know, just as quick as, as somebody who goes straight into um, uh, the National Opera Studio. So, uh, yeah, I was kind of obsessed with, with <laughs> I, I need to get that final, you know, that kind of finishing school uh, yeah. sort of thing, and yeah. I need that on my CV. So, yeah, I felt like I was I was in a bit of a rush. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think that's so relatable, having been in the system ourselves. Once you're there, it's very hard to just see outside of that, and you're just, you're on that path. Totally. Yeah. You, you get... So, Tunnel vision, yeah. and and I think also there's that sense, um, you're you, you are hot boxed when you're in a, a, oh, yeah. a, a in a in a college setting. You know, it's it's uh, it's quite intense, um, and you obviously feel everybody's kind of collective emotion of of being ambitious and trying to trying to strive for this yeah. for this for this thing that we all love. You know, which is to to perform these wonderful works and um 
yeah, it was, you know, I was, I was really, really chuffed when I got into the um, NOS because yeah. I, I, I thought, right, okay, now I can keep learning. This is it, yeah. Um, and because uh, I know, I know some people, they, you know, they, they, they're, they're not uh, certain about what they want to do in life and then go, right, well, I'll do a degree or something, you know, and yeah. I'll go and study. But I think for me, it was, I, there were some skills that I really needed to, to kind of hone and improve on um, and that seemed like the best place yeah. for for it so yeah. yeah well that leads us in quite nicely to the next question um, we'd like to know more about the National Opera Studio and how did that help you today as a performer oh it was it, it, it's in such, such a short course I think I think it was like nine ten months in the end it had a huge impact on me I, th- I think um, you know at the time it was led by Catherine Harris, um, Mark Shanahan, and Jeremy Silver, and the three of them really took me under their wing. You know, we—it was the first time I think we could sit in a room and just be honest about how we felt, the the things that we needed from the course. I think I think they were they were very um, uh, insistent that you know this course is what. You, you make of it you know it, and it, and then it's not a prescribed course necessarily you know it's you tell them what what you want to get from it um and that really helped me because i i you know i, do, I don't come from a, a an acad, uh, academic musical background so there were certainly holes in my music theory knowledge that i really needed to brush up on I mean, I was studying Britain at the time, so <laughs> if anything's going to improve your musicianship, it's that. Yeah. So, and and Catherine was great. You know, she um, she gave me you know a couple of hours a week of of um, of theory classes, of oral classes as well as well, and um, you know just one to one, where I didn't feel like I was stupid because I, I I think you know going into it, you know, I'd, I'd hidden that side. Um, of of my kind of musical character, you know, at, at the academy, and it was the first time I just opened up and I said, "Look, I need a bit of help here, because um, this music's really hard." Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> but she was wonderful, and and she also got in um, a piano teacher to teach me um, basic chords uh, for recit. So it just means I was a bit more self sustainable. Um, because you know coaches can be expensive and <laughs> rightly so and and I think for me at that time it was it, I want to go to a coach once it's polished rather than yeah. go to do someone to note bash and stuff so that was really you know a really useful skill and then um, I think it was just being exposed to the the six opera companies yeah. um, being exposed to agents you know that's how I I first met um, my my agent James Black you know that was um, he, he came to see one of the opera scenes. Um, so I think, it, for me, it was a really, really useful course. I, I'd say just for balance, I think, you know, there were 12 of us on the course. We were all at different stages of our development, and I think that can sometimes cause a little bit of friction because you go, oh, such and such is working here, or such and such is working here. Why aren't I doing that? Blah, 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 blah. And you know, the, I, these are all natural things that come into people's minds. But I think it can, it can, um, it, it can sometimes 
result in a little bit of tension, a little bit of competition maybe. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that's that's always the downside of these these courses. Um, that everybody's striving for the same for the same goal. Yeah. yeah, and you kind of get lost in the green monster a bit, even though yeah. you don't want to. And jealousy is a real thing that needs to be reckoned with. Yeah. But it is also, you, you want to be so proud of them, but at the same time you're like, why am I not doing yes. this? Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, and I think there, there was an extra layer for me as well, uh, being Asian, that I, I felt that, I needed to break the glass ceiling somehow, yeah. um, but that that doesn't help with the pressure. You know, it just it what that does is it just adds another layer of 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 pressure and tension and, and unnecessary kind of um, kind of negative talking. You know, like yeah. internal negative talking. And, and you know, looking back now, I think if I I encouraged myself a bit more it might have been a, a kind of less stressful experience um, and I think you know you, you must find this that you're just scared about making a mistake yeah that's it yeah that's all it is you know whether it's in a performance or whether it's in a rehearsal or whether you know you you feel that there's no give that you always have to be at top top level all the time um, because it's it's an elite skill you know so um I felt a lot of pressure there but ultimately it it, it did harden me to some of the realities of the job you know um and uh particularly when it comes to working with companies you know uh negotiating fees you know like you know but because at that time you don't have agents or anything like that you're having to do it all yourself um so it's a, it, it was a transformative time, I think, for me. Um, but I look back and I, I think it, it was really good for me. Really, really good for me. Um, and um, yeah, they were, they were great people. And I think, I think as you go through your career, I think um, uh, acknowledging the people that helped you, I think is really, really important. Yeah, 100%. That's a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, as you said, now you're older and you didn't feel necessarily needed that linear path. Yes. But what happened when you finished that linear path and you had your first time that you were, quote-unquote, on your own? What was that like? What was the... What kept you going and how did you find the world when you were, as I said, someone on your own for the first time? So, do you mean after after the academy and the National Opera Studio? Yeah, once you were okay. done with National Opera Studio, and you were kind of, and you're done now. Yeah, <laughs> well, what I say, emerging, yeah. em- emerging artist. Uh, it uh, so after uh, after NOS, I, I, I was lucky that um, I was playing Owen Wingrave in the Albury Festival um, with Mark Wigglesworth. Um, and that for me at the time was huge. You know, I had three auditions, you know, with different people, and you know, it was, it was going to be a, a national thing because it was going up to Edinburgh Festival as well, and it was like, whoa, God, you're in a bit of a whirlwind. Um, 
but then that adds more pressure and more pressure and the stakes get higher and higher and higher so it's a it, it was it was a crazy time it was a crazy time I, you know you, you have to find some sort of in internal resolve to just be able to get through these things <laughs> without screwing up you know <laughs> um and uh so i i i was lucky in that sense that i that i had something to aim for at the end of the of the course um and then later on in that summer i went to verbier as well to um to sing in letters ear there um uh, with uh, Jesus um, Carlos Lopez, uh, so it was, yeah, it was busy time, busy time, and as you, I think you've alluded to it before, you're in a whirlwind, and you can't really see outside of your own kind of sphere, you know. Um, I, I think I think often it's it's very easy to forget that you're not just a singer. You know, you you're a you're a brother. You're a you know you're a son. You're a, you're a husband. You know, you're a friend. Uh, and I think at that time, but because you're so eager to succeed, you don't think about anything else apart from singing. You know, yes. <laughs> but I, I, maybe it's natural. You know, maybe maybe you you found the the, the same. But um, uh, yeah, I I look back and it was. It's crazy, crazy times. Crazy times. <laughs> yeah. um, well, we, you know, we have done our research on you a little bit, and, it, and it's good to see um, you have sung such a wide range of opera roles. It seems from Mozart and recently doing Philip Glass at you know. Um, do you have a different process for learning those different roles? And this is a question for like the young artists listening to this. Mm. Um, when and where do you think you got the tools to approach a role? Oh, it's a great question. Great question. Uh, actually, I've always wanted to discuss this with, with someone, so this is great. Well, here we go. Uh, here we away, go. Russ. So <laughs> I, um, I realised quite early on at the academy that I learned things better by ear, you know, um, because my my uh, my theory wasn't really up to scratch then it, it, I I learned a lot of my music by by just listening to it and I as as I got older I I kind of needed to work out a strategy of you know learning these pieces of music because you you have to plan these things out and you have to give yourself time to learn um, and I found that inputting it into Sibelius was actually the best way for me to learn because what's fantastic about it is that I can stick a metronome on it and learn it absolutely perfectly accurately um, I can put dynamics in I can I can add um, tempi and rubato and I can you know I can make it my own backing track yeah, if you know yeah. what I mean and you know I can single out the piano part for example or I can single out the, the vocal part I can repeat uh, individual bars as much mm -hmm. as I like so I, I found that having that flexibility um, it really aided my memory because I could just keep playing it and keep playing it and keep playing it. and it would just go in my mind and I realised um, only in the last few years that, that sleep was so important because if I you know if I if I note bash something in the morning in the afternoon I wouldn't be able to, to sing it back. I wouldn't be able to remember it. But if I 
had a good night's sleep, got up the next morning, weirdly and miraculously, I, it had imprinted into my brain overnight. And so I was like, right, okay, well, let's just do that then. You know, let's, let's just repeat it, yeah. you know, a little bit over a, a long period of time. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but, um, you know, the, it sort of goes from your, from your short-term memory into your long-term mm. memory. And, and, and that was the process for me. And it, on one hand, it, it felt quite um, isolating because I felt like, Oh, sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> this is like <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I did think, oh shit, um, <laughs> you know, how am I? You know, I seem to be completely different to other people. You know, I was I was with a lot of um, choral scholars. You know, a lot of choral scholars were, were my friends, and they had this this amazing technique and amazing skill of sight reading. And mm. um, I, I guess. Uh, I felt I was I was a bit stupid and thought I was a bit different, but then with Sibelius coming in and saving my uh, <laughs> saving my career, you know, it 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 just it gave me that tool and the 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 confidence, um, I think, then to uh, to then go to a rehearsal or go to a coaching, you know, because um, often you don't get many rehearsals, right? You've got yeah. to be you've got to be on top of it and. Um, it really helped. Yeah. It really helped. Yeah, I did some. I did tip it, um, the ice break. And That's it's, not an easy one either. It's fiendish. <laughs> it's absolutely fiendish. Like, amazing piece. But I, you know, I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. head in my hands. Yeah. Um, but this, this totally took the pressure off. Um, and uh, you know, I, it it also meant I saved some money yeah, because yeah. you know I don't have to go to sorry my lovely P and his friends I don't have to go and and ask them to 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 play the vocal part you know yeah. for two hours I I can do that bit myself gives you the control as well and I yeah think yeah 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 I think that's psychologically, it psychologically that probably just helps helps you learn it okay I can slow this down mm. as much as I want and yeah do you then like put in like exactly every note or do you just plug it how, how, how do you bring it into Sibelius this is where I'm like at right uh, now because this is a great idea yeah so I'm I'm extremely lucky that my uh, wife and brother-in-law are both uh, um, sort of Sibelius whizzes really you know that uh, my, my brother-in-law's a professional trumpeter and my wife's a keen amateur singer and you know they're much better musicians than I am but they uh, uh, over the years they've really helped me to input you know the the, the difficult pieces um and reset you know the the, the these sort of things um uh and it's really really helped me it's, it's been a an amazing tool, you know. Um, my brother-in-law's an arranger as well, so, so now he can just get these out in no time. Um, <laughs> but I have to say, when I did give him the George Benjamin written on skin, he was like, Ross, what, what is this? What are you doing? Because you know, um, it, it, it was quite difficult, but that was the perfect way for me to, to learn it, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, I've I've got quite a lot of th- thanking to do there. Sibelius, <laughs> if you want to sponsor, yeah, that's it. That's it. That be it's something you th- think about. Oh gosh, what if they went out of business? I'd be I'd be screwed. But you know, everybody uses Sibelius. It, it, you know, oh, it, yeah. But um, that is such a great been... tip and not talked about because as someone who has dyslexia, yeah. 
I'm just always told just go and note bash and to have a pianist and and you do lose that sense of control and I think also in this industry and especially in this instrument you need that sense of control you need to feel like you have the power to take on anything and not to be able to say I'm gonna have to check this and come back to you whether or not I can sing that because this seems a bit like not to be confused by music that you could potentially sing because it works really well with your voice, but the fact that it is tippet, glass, yeah. written, mm-hmm. yeah. whatever it is, and then people are like, oh, but the rhythms there are difficult and the atonal stuff, it might be a bit complicated, but then that's the stuff that you feel like once you get to sing is meant for you. Absolutely. You know, uh, now that I've done some contemporary music, I'm, I think back to what, how scared I was when I, when I first did Curly River at the Academy, um, and it's it's like a completely a complete transformation because now I feel like I can, if somebody gives me some contemporary music, I I know that I'll be able to learn it. Oh, oh no, that's a big that's, no no no. I, I'm I'm going to rephrase that. I think I'm able to uh, to learn it. Um, and as you say, it gives you the control, it gives you the confidence, and it means that I don't have to turn down things just because I'm scared. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you don't know which repertoire suits you until you kind of do it, you know, and you, you know for yourself, um, uh, regardless of what anybody else thinks, you know, it's, it's kind of, why would you want to um, restrict yourself to, to just doing Mozart or just doing bel canto or whatever? Um, I, like the, I like to be versatile um, and sing what I like. I like, you know, in, yeah. in, in that sense and, and have the power to do that. Fantastic. So I do want to talk a little bit about Philip Glass for a second. Okay. So you've just recently made your English National Opera debut. Woohoo! In Philip Glass's <clears throat> Setyagraha. Can you share with us what the opera is about? Because it's, it's one of those ones where I people was, don't know. I was so one. hoping you wouldn't ask me this. This is brilliant. <laughs> No, I, you know, I, I, every singer should have uh, a synopsis of every opera in their head, just in case. Um, no, but, but in addition to that, I have a yeah, more questions on. to lead off of that. Um, what it meant to you to be a part of this specific production, and also, because I met you right before this all kicked yeah. off, and you said you've never concentrated harder. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us more about you've that as well? You've got a good memory. Um, it's, it's really difficult. Fiendishly difficult. I was really scared about it. Um, I, I think also because it was my debut. Again, what we were saying before about the pressure of not making the mistakes. So I spent a lot of time um, preparing it. Um, and it, it, it was an incredible experience. Uh, so Satyagraha is about the... Um, it's a series of scenes that represent the life of Gandhi... There isn't a, a kind of plot or narrative per se, um, but it, it it talks about the people that were connected with him, his travels to South Africa, and um, and yeah, it's a kind of meditative piece, um, which is open to um, the individual audience member kind of creating their own interpretation and taking what they want from it. The theatricality of the piece was incredible because we had these um, super talented skills ensemble 
um, which uh, which you know they're actors who um, uh, were involved in the puppetry and um, and they they really just brought everything up. You know, we felt felt like the 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 singers we we were kind of inspired by their talent because it's completely different to ours, you know, and I think that's wonderful. It's like when you work with dancers, it's like, I have no idea what it's like to be a dancer, but you're super cool, you know, and you're, you know, you're really, really talented. And, and that was that was a great experience. And um, Felim, the director, had a, a really, um, how would I put it? Uh, well, he a very unselfish and... Uh, thoughtful way of working so in the mornings um, you know we would get into a circle and um, we would hand round uh, a hand sanitizer <laughs> and you know and everybody would have their chance to kind of just say anything they wanted you know like what they were hoping to get out of today or the you know crazy stuff that happened this morning on the commute or what did you do at the weekend say so just anything and it really brought everyone together, you know, especially at a time when, you know, you, you wake up every day and there's a there's some new terrible thing happening in the world. Um, it you know, if you think about it too much, it, it can really get you down. And I think at that time we could just suspend all that and just be in the present. And um, that was a, a really a really uh, great thing because usually you think all right you're going to get into a circle this is going to be like Alcoholics Anonymous yeah. <laughs> you know my name's Ross and I'm but it, it 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 wasn't it was it, it didn't have that kind of uh cringy drama game thing about it it was just very honest and very thoughtful and I think um I, th I think the way we work in opera I think we need to be kinder to each other I think in the yeah. future yeah. uh particularly in rehearsals and, and understand that everybody has individual needs um, and, um, and everybody should be treated with respect. And I know that sounds so basic, but you don't always get that. You well, know? no, and it's so nice to see that because that's not the first director we've heard of yeah. does the like setting intentions in the morning. And it's yeah. so nice to know as young artists who are on, on yeah. the earlier side of their career mm. that that's what we can expect from certain people. Like it's not... The what people think it is that it's everybody for themselves and coming and leave and that's it. Um, and if you mess up, you're fired. Like it's not yeah. doesn't sound like that's the career that we're eventually going to be in. No, no. And everyone that we spoke to actually involved in ENO as a whole, be it directors, singers, costume designers, they they talk about this sort of family unit yeah. that happens there it sounds magical yeah it, it, it was and I think it was totally necessary we can hear some of practicing um, you, you, you know at a time when everything was so uncertain you know it just takes one case of COVID to take a whole production down and yeah, you know yeah. we were always on that kind of on tenterhooks the whole time so having that comfort there um, that we're all they're all together and we're all pushing in the same you know going in the same direction um, that meant a lot to me, um, and look, I'm going to be totally honest because I, it's the only way I, I do things. <laughs> you know, Philip Glass is not my, you know, not really my cup of tea. But 
what was great is I I opened my eyes to to that type of music, to minimalism, and I and I tried to find ways of enjoying it, and that came with the production. You know, the production was superb. I mean, it was just an amazing piece of theatre, um, and for me, that was that was kind of healing in a way, yeah. um, and you know. The other thing that you can't always love everything you sing. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe as as you as you go further into your career, you can pick and choose things more. But you know, th this was a great great experience for me to just dip my toe in um, to Philip Glass and just understand it, just try and understand it. Because mm -hmm. I think so many times. You, you get this thing when you talk to people that, and composers are like these these cult figures where it's like it's really cool to love Philip Glass or it's really cool to love John Adams or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, and actually, I wanted to really get down and and into the detail and go, right, okay, how can I get something out of this? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was, uh, I, when, when I was younger... Um, well, no, actually, today I, I still do. I love, I love, I love dance music and love electronica, um, and I, I love the rhythms and the layers and the syncopation. And you know, I, I thought that the Philip Glass sort of had that sense yeah. to because of the repetition, um, the, the 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 build up to climaxes that you get in dance music was quite similar to what we had with with Glass. Um, but yet, the classical music world would maybe turn their nose up at some of these DJs when actually they're revering Philip Glass, who's using the same t similar techniques, you know. So <laughs> I, I, that, that I found quite interesting. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I learned I a lot. I learned a lot. And um, I, think, I think you should always try and find merit in in any piece of music that you do, because um, I just think it's it's kind of polite, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But it's at the same time, people I think forget that this is also our job. Yeah. And you yeah. don't, you're not always going to like your job every single day of every That's like very just good because point. you're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, and I, th uh, and I think sometimes it is a job, you know, let's, let's be honest, you know, we, we yeah. do a lot of traveling, we do, you know, it's, um, we do a lot of being on our own, learning stuff, and you know, it, sometimes it is a job. But um, I don't want to get to a point where I feel like it is just a job. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the thing, my heart has got to be in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, I think, the luxury that we have in this country where we don't have fest contracts in the same sense, that it's not mm. a nine-to-five as you sing, but, like, that you do get to travel and you have that um, principal singer kind of experience where you go and you check different places um, that doesn't get mundane or feel like it's a job where you don't just, like... Every day is different. Yeah. That's I, absolutely. Yeah. Every day is different. I... And it's taken me a while to kind of get used to the fact that my life is not stable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, is that a nervous I'm not, yeah, I'm not stable or my life's not stable. I, I can't, um, you know, work my schedules like 
um, say like, I don't know, I used to when I was working in recruitment, you know, like everything absolutely uh, organised with military uh, mm. precision. Yeah. It's always like, I've got a coaching there, I've got a rehearsing there, a mm. rehearsal there, and um, oh, I've got a show in the evening, so, you know, I've got to make sure I, you know, maybe get a bit of time off in the morning, you know, mm. so, so it's, um, it's always different, and that is great, um, but it also means you have to be switched on the whole time. You <laughs> yeah. Know. E- you know, even when even when I'm on holiday, it's always the case that my agent will ring. You know, um, and that's great. I'm not I'm not I'm not slagging <laughs> him off. I mean, fantastic. Keep calling. Keep, Keep calling. calling. But it's it's always God's law that you know you whenever you you go and do something fun suddenly the phone rings you know but but that's great and I wouldn't have it any other way um you know the thought of doing a a nine-to-five personally is it's not it's not for me you know um needs to be out there yeah you know busy busy yeah I I kind of want to tell the podcast listeners to please comment on the Instagram post for this episode all of the arias that she might be singing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just embrace it. It's all good. It's all good. Um, now, Ross, we can't have you here and not talk about this um, next oh. thing. So um, we think that you might have hit every opera singer slash football fan's dream job when you sang the national anthem at Wembley. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, for your favourite team, Arsenal, as well, which is yeah, incredible. Yeah, it, it was incredible. Okay, what was it like, and did you feel like Pavarotti? <laughs> <laughs> did I feel like Pavarotti? I n- no, not 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 necessarily, but I did feel like a don. Honestly, yeah. I felt so good. We we, we had like a, a dozen um, of us there. You know, yeah. my, my friends at BYO, um, Anna Patalong and and Ben Nelson, um, who are also Arsenal fans, got me involved, um, and. You just don't say no. You yes. just don't say no to singing the national anthem. You know, I'm a proud Brit. You know, and yeah. um, and cheering your your own team on, and we won. Oh. We won, which was the, the greatest thing. Um, but I have to say, it's weird because you've got earpieces. You're having to deal with delays, and you know, some a, a pre-record which then gets played out at the same time as you singing live. Like it's all kind of. It, it, really? Yeah, because there's something about someone's going to write in and tell tell the truth, the kind of the exact thing. But <laughs> like they play a, a a recording in the stadium, and then the live singing goes out on the television. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And they they kind of do it at the same time. Wow. Um, so that was weird, really weird, but. It was great. The, the only thing I would say is that I'd like to do it again. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to do it myself, um, but but also with fans this time because we oh. unfortunately we didn't we didn't oh, have fans in the stadium. Yeah. So um, I, I I think. What did you say your your um, agent's name was? James Black. Please get in touch with James Black. Yeah, and, that's um, it. Have hit have Ross back to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Abby. The check is in the post. All right. <laughs> Um, It is such a pleasure to say that it seems that you've performed on pretty much every major stage in this country. uh, There are a few. There are a few still to do. I've still got got the the list. All right. (laughs) They're coming. James Black, remember? Um, James Black Management, is it? Yeah. Okay, James Black Management. Um, 
get in touch. We're good. Uh, but, <laughs> but actually, when the world shut down and we didn't have on-stage opera, you were all over online as well, doing things with m- many companies. What was the mindset like when you were performing for a film crew rather than an audience and how did you as a classical singer adapt to that mm. it was a a wonderful experience for years i've wanted to do an opera film but it was just not in vogue you know um and it, when you know i was doing some videos for wno you know, singing Dandini's Ari, you know, the, the short videos that you had to do in, in lockdown. Yeah. Um, and then I did uh, Owen Wingrave with Grange Park. And that, for me, was incredible because for the first time I was able to um, to use the acting skills uh, where you shrink everything down, where the, the thoughts are really interior, you know, the... the the facial expressions are, you know, just a flick of the eye, or you know, it, the the things that you that that get missed in the uh, on on the stage. You know, if you're all the way up in the gods, you know, you yeah. you're not going to see everything. Um, but it gave me the chance to to kind of work on something that I've wanted to do for years, and that was great, and I I loved it. Just the the only real challenge was the singing part <laughs> because you know what do you do do you record it beforehand and then lip sync or do you try and sing it live while recording and that's that's the hard thing if you sing while while you're filming um you know you have to think about stamina you know you can't you know if you're a high soprano you can't be smashing out those notes all day um uh, and and filming and filming is it's a long process you know you could be doing 10 11 12 hour days um or you can uh pre-record it and then practice lip syncing to your own voice which is weird <laughs> really weird and it, it, there, there's also pressure during the recording to do it exactly the way you want to do it and there's no room to um, to do anything slightly differently, you know, like you would on stage. Yeah. No, every performance is different. But with that, I had to stay completely uniform. I had to have the, the clear thoughts so that I would hit things at certain times. And, you know, that was a challenge, but it was great. And the beauty of these things is always in post-production. I don't know how those guys do it. I mean, the editing... I mean, it's magical sometimes what they can do with some of this raw footage. So, um, yeah, I am. I love. I love opera film. I, you know, I'm not saying it will replace live theatre at all, but I think especially during um, a pandemic or as 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 online is is the world. You know, at the moment, yeah. you know, I think it's important that opera. Um, Finds their space yeah, within they have that. To move with the times. Yeah, yeah, so sure. true. But it's also it's so interesting what you say about not having the flexibility to change your characters or your reaction to things because it is what it is, and that's so different to yes. what we are taught in theater. And the idea of the smallness. Whereas if you take any acting class, they're like think of the like smallest intentions, 
and then that gets lost because yeah. opera is so grand and you're usually going to do it for a larger audience. But it's like what we saw um, recently. We went to see Bluebeard's Castle. Oh, yeah. The intimate production. And it was the same discussion about how small everything has to be because you can see the white of people's eyes. <laughs> see that, and that's fantastic. Actually, that was one of the great things of um, this summer at Holland Park because um, they had a new... A new theatre and um, uh, and they had these ramps uh, down the sides of the mm-hmm. stage and then a thrust stage um, and then two metre gap and then you had the first row but they've you know those audience members have never seen theatre that close up that close you know with an orchestra and so as you say you're able to see the whites of people's eyes <laughs> yeah. the sweat dripping off their face <laughs> you know and and I, and I think that's a wonderful thing yeah um, because it, it just means you can tell the story, you know, um, and it is about communicating that. Yeah. But musical theatre going on here, love it. Yeah, I'm loving this. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's been such a great interview. I've really enjoyed it. Um, but Ross, um, have you got any advice that you would give to young people starting out in the industry? How long have you got? (laughs) (laughs) No, look. um, uh, The main thing I'd say is don't be in a rush. Everybody wants to be the star like yesterday, you know, and and it's not about being a star. It's about the work, and it's about it's about your own. Um, fulfillment as well mm. um, and work smart you know we're, we're, we're not like um, instrumentalists where you know you play the piano eight hours a day and you know practice 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 you can't do that as a singer so don't do it you yeah. know I remember at the academy just hearing tenors just smash out top C's all day every day and just then doing Daughter of the Regiment over and over yeah <laughs> and then when it came to the coaching they were like oh no I can't sing today you know so so it's sort of you've you've got to find your own way of working without without pushing yourself to the point of, <laughs> of breaking your voice you know um, so I think be smart take care of your mental health it's huge because at that time in your life as well you know relationships build, you know, you know the pr- things in your private life happen, you know, family things happen. You know, there's all sorts of things to contend with um, at the same time as your, <laughs> as your career taking off. Yeah. Um, so really look after your mental health. You know, I, I um, sadly suffer with anxiety and um, depression and, I've, you know, it's been pretty bad um, over the, you know, five, six years, you know, in, in um, in at different points um, and I've had to really look after my my mind and and keep being positive and you know confident Arsene Wenger right he said um, that confidence goes up in the stairs by the stairs but down in the lift so to 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 me kind of keeping my confidence at a kind of decent level. Not too confident that you get arrogant, but, <clears throat> excuse me, but just enough that you, you can sort of say to yourself, no, you can do it. Mm. You can do it. Uh, it is possible. Um, you're not an imposter. 
and, and I think I think um, Angel Blue was talking a, a bit about this, you know, and and um, that imposter syndrome thing is 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 everywhere, absolutely everywhere. But if if I, I'd say to the young singers, you got you've got to believe that you can do it. Listen to your teachers, listen to your coaches. But sieve out the best bits. <laughs> <laughs> Sit there going like with a with a strainer and just go. Yeah. Not yeah. that that. Because <laughs> there's nothing worse than your teacher saying one thing and then a coach saying the complete oh, yeah. opposite. Yeah. You know what? You know, just to simplify it, one says more text, the other one says more line. You know, yeah. so it's it's like okay, I got to do both. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's it, it, you have to pick and choose the things that that work for you. Um, um, and the, I guess the last thing is, like, check your privilege. Like, we're all really, really lucky to be able to do this sort of job. You know, not not everyone has that um, that choice. You know, um, and uh, it's it's always good to think of that as well when when you're starting out and you're not earning a lot of money. Um, it's hard to find the reasons to then <laughs> keep going. And, and lots of people do fall out of the industry, but um, working hard um, is good, but you need to switch off. Yeah. You have to find time to switch off. Otherwise you just burn yourself out. And I know that sounds really simple, but you'll be surprised how many workaholics are out there, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, You've got to find time for family, especially after the pandemic. It's made me really, um, well, uh, uh, one side guilty that I don't see my parents enough, you know, in the course of a year. Um, but also now, you know, striving to to take some breaks within a, a, a calendar year. You know, it's very easy to just say yes to, to contracts or gigs, you know, um, but sometimes you've got to learn to, how to say no and go, well, okay, this is my, this is my sacred time, um, you know, for me to, to decompress and unwind because it, the, the stress levels are high and they're, they're kind of concentrated um, and, and, it's, and it's a kind of pressure and an adrenaline rush that you get at every rehearsal, um, mostly at the beginning, and then, and then for shows. And, and you're you're endlessly doing this up and down, up and down, up and down. So you've got to find a little bit of calm, I think. Um, yeah, that would be my advice. <laughs> Round of applause. Yeah, I know. Like, I just, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's, but it's, seriously, though, that was really, yeah, that was really good. It's like, it's like I'm, only, I'm only just starting out. So it feels weird to also give advice, but it, it's like I'm 35 and then I'm in rehearsals now with, with guys that are like, 25 26 so i'm it's interesting that i'm now not the young gun you know i'm not yeah. i've i've got to you know sort of be an inspiration to those guys Absolutely. as well coming yeah. up um but that's also what's funny about this exact industry is that you're very young yet you've been in it for a very long time yet you haven't done that much because this career as you said you have to take your time so, for someone who's 25, who's also been doing it for, quote-unquote, a long time, but they haven't in the grand scheme yeah. of things. Yeah. So, 
you are more wise than a 25 year old yeah absolutely. yeah and um go on about football but you know the, <laughs> the experience you have on the pitch is the best thing you could have so experience on stage you know just the sheer number of shows um that you can do in a, in a run so say at, at English Touring Opera, I did 30 Figaro's over the course of three months. Like, that's mad. Mm -hmm. But that really teaches you about your craft. You go into a theatre that you've never seen before, you don't know the acoustic, and you've just got to go and, and turn it on. And it's that sort of experience um, that you don't have at 2425. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, you're always learning, mm. always. So you, the other bit of advice, oh, I'm full of advice today, aren't I? <laughs> Yeah, it's great. Be a sponge. <laughs> we've, we've, heard we've heard that, that one. Have yeah, you? Yeah, right. One. Yeah. But that's okay, we'll keep it in. Okay, okay. It's a great one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so, so much for coming and oh, chatting with us and pleasure. having this beautiful concert with us <laughs> <Yeah>. as well. <laughs> yeah. But can you please let us know what's next for you and where people can find you? Okay, after Christmas, um, <laughs> I'm at the Royal Opera House um, covering uh, the character of Valens in um, Theodora, which is going to be amazing. Um, actually, a side note, um, covering the notion of it has completely changed, I think, in the last 18 months. Before, you, you, could, you could cover and you, would, you, know, you sort of know that it probably won't go on, you know. Yeah. Um, Sometimes, sometimes some people don't necessarily, you know, put as much effort into a cover role than they would on a, you know, as a normal main cast. But now, with COVID, there is such a high chance that I could go on. You've got to treat it like you are yeah. in the main cast. Um, so that, so that's sort of what, that's how I'm feeling about this con contract at the Royal Opera House. Is 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 that yeah. I've, I'm in, I'm in the production, you know, <laughs> and anything can happen. Yeah. Be ready for that. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, and then after that, I go to Tel Aviv to sing uh, Figaro there. My hometown. I know. Oh, and I'll I give you love all the good it. spots. I, I, uh, please. Um, you know, I, I was there in 2017 for Midsummer Night's Dream, and I had a flat five minutes away from the beach it was sensational <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping for the same again um but I, I love it there it's so welcoming such beautiful culture and food and you know like the food yeah it's just people don't know this about it like israel's food is out of this world yeah. uh so i'm i'm really really looking forward to it and i'm i'm gonna be showing off uh with, you know with my mates on whatsapp i'm going to be sending a lot of uh, beach photos and, and i don't care <laughs> <laughs> and where people get where can people find you online uh at www.rossramgobin.co.uk um also jamesblackmanagement.com you'll find me under the baritone section <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> um and and yeah, just Google apparently has has called me a musical artist now. So oh, I, I think I've made, made it. it. I've made it. Um, <laughs> um, another side note: I have a bit of banter with my brother. His name's Ryan. Ryan Rick, So also, are um, he's a journalist. Uh, so he is 
you know, he's, he has a, a media and online presence. Um, but currently, if you type Ram Govin into Google, I come up first. <laughs> so, you know, a little bit of brotherly rivalry there. Uh, so so he, he's, his quest is to, uh, is to get higher up on the Google rankings than I. So, you know, it's... Uh, a bit of love there. So. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for being oh, no, here. It's been so you. much fun. It's been brilliant. Thank you very much for having me. So we are back with our new segment that we actually have no name for yet, which please help us out. <laughs> uh, leave a comment either on this podcast or on our Instagram or message us or email us at aaoperapod at gmail.com and let us know what you think we should call the segment. But my turn for today's mini lecture. I'm excited. Seeing as we were talking about Wembley and uh, singing the national anthem and how Pavarotti played a part in people loving opera and the sport of football i thought we would talk about the three tenors let's do it (laughs) so the three tenors first went into concert in 1994 as ross mentioned also in los angeles with the los angeles philharmonic and the chorus of los angeles opera the three tenors are Luciano Pavolotti, Placido Domingo, and Jose Carreras, and they were conducted by Zubin Mehta. Now, according to Wikipedia, the best source of information in the world, an estimate of 1.3 billion viewers watched the concert as a television broadcast special across the world. I think that's actually very accurate, because I watched a Pavarotti documentary, a different one. Oh, yeah over Christmas and that, that I think that was yeah right yeah so then they went it. on to record an album um, with many many great arias and just absolutely fantastic they've also tried this concept sorry jumping in on your lecture that's here, fine with uh, three sopranos huh. and it didn't work <laughs> Who are the three Sopranos? I can't remember, but it was around the same time the record companies were like, okay, how can we steal this idea? I'm going to actually Google that now to find out who the three Sopranos were. Yeah, I can't remember. But it, it was a flop. But yeah, it's also a really good trivia question and a pub quiz question. It comes up quite a bit. Who are the three tenors? So now you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone knows the three tenors. But the three Sopranos? Not three so Sopranos. No, I don't. I mean, I think I see see a picture of them here. Oh, there we go. I think what happened was that it didn't really take off. So I think the three Sopranos, (laughs) who are still to be named. Oh, found them. Okay. Kathleen Costello. Yes, this is it. Callan Asperian. And Cynthia Lawrence. I recognize the first name. Yeah. I see the two. But I think... That is quite the cleavage in this picture. Oh, yes, it is. You see... (laughs) That's marketing for you. That's marketing. <laughs> yeah, but they do have the concert on YouTube in parts. Did Pavarotti do that concert as well? No. Oh, good It's for a them. Hollywood Festival Orchestra conducted by Marco Armiliato. There you go. But you know, snaps to the three tenors, because I do think 
that they did help opera go into the mainstream. Yeah, without them there would be a completely different uh, forecast for opera these days and every football fan knows the three tenors now. Yeah. And Nessun Dolma. <laughs> This week's question of the week is share with us your side hustles. Now I have to admit, I hate the word hustle. I don't know what it is about the word. It kind of stresses me out a little bit. But we thought this was a good question with the time of year that it is. Taxes. Um, I don't know about you. I'm sure you'll be the same, Abby. But when I'm submitting my tax return, it's like, well, I've had this much from this job, this much from this, that from that and that from that. And so we thought... What are our listeners' side hustles? Yeah, we got some interesting ones, but also I think it's really interesting the concept of what opera singers call side hustles because it takes so long for you to be able to make money off of your main hustle Yeah, that your side hustles kind of become your main hustle. They certainly do. I feel like it's a roller coaster. Yeah. Times of the year, your side hustle might become the main hustle because the main hustle is singing. It's quite quiet for a little bit. Yeah. And then it just crosses over. But that's the excitement of freelance life, right? Yeah, that is true. That is very true. Um, I feel like my side hustle is quite boring. Like mundane, everyone does it. I teach. Yeah. Um, I babysat for a while. But mostly teaching. What about you? Well, you know what? I do do a lot of teaching. But... That's not to be frowned upon because so many of us do it. It pays well. And actually what I find with teaching is that it keeps your feet firmly on the ground. Yeah. Teaching, well, I teach music, I teach piano and singing um, to children. And I've just started a new job as an early years specialist. So doing music workshops there. And it's music at its core and what it should be. And so I really love it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, the thing is, I don't teach music. Yeah. So I think that's my beef with it. Because mm-hmm. it's not that I'm connected to it in everyday life. That's fair enough, but you are very good at teaching children. The, yeah. You, know, the whole, you bring games into it. You're trying to make something fun. That is true. Um, but... You also have another side hustle. I do, and this is quite strange. And I will admit that I do refrain from talking about it. But it's a really cool thing. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, well, me and my partner, Lewis, we've got a software company, which is totally different <laughs> from opera singing. Uh, and I've come to really appreciate technology. I've learned how to code a little bit. And we essentially design apps. For, at the moment, it's just beauty businesses. But actually, we bring that as a possibility for small businesses. And I really enjoy it. No, I mean, it's so cool. It's quite nice to have something totally different in your life that isn't related to music, as I say, or my teaching's music, or the singing. And also working with Lewis as well is... I mean, touch wood, really good thing. Yeah. yeah we, we do make a good team. So, but we have heard from our listeners as well. And we've had a 
chief engineer chief engineer yeah what was the other one escape room operator (laughs) that's a great one um sir titles person at the opera yeah which is really cool and that's actually a really great side hustle for singers because you get to be so involved in the world you learn all about the operas you use your skill as well because you have to be able to follow where you are on the score as well so and some of you also shared some of your other creative projects as well so thank you for that it's been really nice to hear that is it for this week's episode thank you so so much to ross for being here with us today make sure you go check him out on all of his social platforms because he is incredible and if you'd like to get him to come perform for you his manager is james black that is jamesblackmanagement.com <laughs> but a big thank you to you guys for tuning in to aa opera again um you can follow us on all social media at AA Opera. And if you want to get in touch, then drop us an email at aaoperapod at gmail.com. And do check out our website. Yes. It's aaoperapod.com. And also, please come and support us on Patreon. We are www.patreon.com forward slash aaopera. And there are some extra special things for our pen yeah just a little bit of treats a little bit of treats for you guys there so come and support us there and we will be back next week we'll see you next week guys Bye. bye bye